Our New Testament lesson this morning comes from Mark chapter 8, verses 31 to 38. He then began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and that he must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke plainly about this, and Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But when Jesus turned and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Then he called the crowd to him along with his disciples and said, Whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the gospel will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world, yet forfeit their soul? Or what can anyone give in exchange for their soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Friends, uh, my name is Ryan. I'm grateful to be here with you, and uh, I'm so grateful this is our space, and uh, looking forward to what the Lord Jesus is, is doing, is going to continue to do. Uh, friends, there's a few words for the word faith um, in the scriptures. 
The Greek use of the word faith is, is called pistis. Uh, and, and in Greek idea, what, what that meant is uh, faith meant that if you affirmed a certain set of doctrines, if you affirmed a certain set of beliefs, that was faith. It didn't matter how you lived, though. And so if you, if you ascended to the right thought, the right idea, the right doctrine, then that was faith. That was, that, that was what was required. It didn't matter if that affected how you lived. And see, Jesus, um, well, the witness of the entirety of the, the canon of Scripture, but Jesus and, and Paul, when they talked about faith, they talked about it more in a way of faithfulness. And this idea that uh, how what you believed had to affect how you lived. It, it, it had to affect. It, it, it wasn't just enough to believe the right things. It had to bear weight. It had to be played out. It had to be lived out. And matter of fact, that what you did, how you lived, was the true indication of what you believed. That was actually the indication. And, and I wonder how many of us how much of the church, how much do you and I, uh, on, on a day-to-day basis, approach our life with Jesus with Greek thought? Like, we, 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 we can affirm the right things. We can believe the right things. And sometimes it affects how we live. And sometimes it bears weight on our life. But, but, but... Not all the time. And I'm I just kind of curious and wonder, I mean, in my own life, I ask these questions, but I, I, I ask them of myself first. I ask them of, of my life, my family's life, how I make decisions, how we make decisions. And I wonder if just week after week, month after month, that we're, we're, we, come, we come to moments like this and we come to, uh, to church and, 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 and as long as we have the right thoughts and, and to say the right things and believe that, that it doesn't really matter, the rest. It's maybe more like behavior modification than transformation. It's like, well, we, we kind of behave and, be, and, and kind of modify certain things, but it's not really transforming how we live and, and who we are. But the truth is, friends, Jesus wants more. Jesus wants so much more. And so what we're doing in, in this Lenten season is we're kind of digging down into that. And we're asking ourselves uh, through Scripture, through uh, some, uh, some passages in the Old Testament, some passages in the New Testament, some of these things framed around 40, significant time, uh, 40 days Jesus was in the wilderness being tempted by Satan, 40 years in the wilderness, uh, they, the children of Israel were you know, moving and learning and growing and being tested there. But we're asking ourselves, who are we really becoming? How are we living truly? Would you pray with me? 
Heavenly Father, uh, I'm really struck by, for myself, how, how much moments like this I somehow turn around on myself and make it about me. When what can I get from this moment? What can I get from this time? Instead of what I can offer. So, Lord, I just want to pause and just say how grateful that we are. How thankful that we are for the redemptive work, not just in our own hearts, not in this church, not just in our city, but that you're doing throughout the world. That you are drawing people to you, redeeming, restoring. That people are being clothed in your name. People are receiving medical care in your name. People are being fed in your name. That people are being drawn into relationship with you and truly beginning to learn what it means to live. And we say thank you. Thank you for your work. Thank you that you know us and see us, that you've called us by name. Thank you, and we say yes and amen. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable. Spirit, Holy Spirit, speak to us. Transform our lives, our hearts. Help us to fall more and more and more in love, overwhelmed by the beauty, the majesty, the goodness of Jesus. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Uh, Jesus' life in this passage, things are going really well. Things are going really well for, for, for Jesus and his followers. Uh, he's gaining a lot of momentum. There, there's a buzz about who he is. There's, there's a lot of wonderful things are happening right now. He's healing the sick. Uh, he's feet fed and is feeding up to 20,000 people. He's challenging the religious leaders and the political uh, uh, powers at, at, uh, of the day. And people are, are absolutely loving it. Miracle after miracle after miracle, things are really well. And if you were a follower of Jesus, this was a really good time. Like, it was wonderful. It was all upside. It was like how we chart uh, in our work and place. Everything was up and to the right. It was just good. Everything was on the right trajectory. And especially if you were inside that inner court, like, the, uh, of the 12, and then that even smaller ring of Peter, James, and John. I mean, things were really good. And the mood around Jesus and the mood around the moment for people that were following him were finally, it's finally happening. This is so good. It's finally happening. I played on a basketball team when I was a sophomore in, uh, in high school that we won quad state. All four states we won. I didn't win anything. I, I, I rode the bench. Uh, but I watched it. And I watched these guys play. Everybody on our uh, starting five that year all went D1. These guys were incredible. There was a guy named Little Mike, 5'5". Five, five. Boy could dunk. Little Mike could dunk. And I didn't believe Little Mike. Little Mike proved me wrong. He's like, he said the exact words, hey, white boy, 
come over here and let me learn you something. And I said, exact words. And little Mike, I stood in the lane and little Mike jumps over my head and dunks the ball. And I felt glory and shame at the same time. I just was like, And it was amazing that, time, that season because when, I, when we walked into that gymnasium, it was not if we were going to win. It was by how much we were going to win. There was just victory. It was finally I get to be a part of something glorious. Like this is fantastic. That's how they felt. Followers of Jesus are like, it's finally happening And then Peter goes and does something really stupid. <laughs> Peter, in this moment of momentum, in this, this season of where he's like, it's so good. Peter does something crazy. In verse 32, he says, and he speaks plainly about this. And Peter took Jesus aside and he began to do what? Rebuke Jesus? You rebuke Jesus, friends, he's going to come right back at you. And he did. And Jesus turned to him and he looked at his disciples and he rebuked Peter and said, get behind me, Satan. And he said this, you do not have in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Friends, if you, let me ask you, how many times a day do you think you touch this thing? How many, how many times a day do you think you just pick this thing up and you're like, mm up start going around I don't know a couple thousand times a day probably you and I we live in a uh, a society a cultural moment that prizes individualism it, it prizes self if you think about the world that we create on this it's all about us if I don't like a song I take it off my playlist if I don't like what you said, I can remove you from my life. I can mute you. <laughs> Sometimes that's a great feature. Thank you, iPhone. Like, that's a great feature. It's just like, mute. But how much of this thinking, how much of this habit, how much is this deceiving life, deceiving us? Where it's, it's about us. Well, I don't like this, I take this off. Well, I want to find what I like, so I'm going to search around for it. Well, if I don't like your viewpoint, I'm going to remove that from my life. And I'm going to only curate and put things in here that I like, that are for me, that uphold who I am, that affirm my thoughts and my thinking, that make me feel good. And sometimes when we come across passages like this where Jesus talks about denying ourselves, that terrifies us. We don't like to think that way. I'm not into denying myself. I'm into fulfilling myself and curating life around myself and making sure myself is good and everyone else don't really care, but it's about me because this is what we're told over and over and over and over again. This is how we live. We, we don't deprive ours of anything of us because I am, I'm not going to deprive any of my, me, it's what's me. 
Our dreams might be trashed. Our, our desires might be blunted. Our personalities might be erased. I can't, I can't, I can't do that. I, I, I'm me. See, I, I, wish, I wish, though, I wish when this was translated, this passage, I wish they deny yourself, and I wish they would have put your false self or your old self instead of just self there. It's, we all have this, this, this self that, that only is concerned about human things. This self that wants comfort, this self that doesn't want to be interrupted, this self that, 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 that we sort of present to, to others, this is actually not who we are. See, what Jesus, remember, what Jesus is doing and what Jesus wants to do is he came back into the earth to restore real life. And to, to bring life back to the earth, to, to bring life back to us, to, to, to help us to understand how we were made and what we were meant for, which is to commune with him and to, to be with him and, and to follow him. And, and then he came to bring, over and over again, what did he say? Life. I've come to bring life and life more abundantly. And so when he when he says things like this, I, I want you to deny yourself. He's speaking of this self that's only concerned about us because we who are in him have been awakened to a new life, a new way of, of thinking, a new way of being, a new way of existing. And he says, when you deny yourself, deny that old self that constantly is just thinking about me and the human concerns. Because we have to remember the, the radical nature of the gospel, friends. We have to remember how upside down it is to not only society, but to sometimes to how we think and, and, and how we live. With Jesus, the way up is down. The first is last. The only way that you and I can save our life is if we lose it. And see, you and I have been manipulated and formed and, and, and shaped to believe that the best life that we can live is one that is fulfilling ourselves. A self-fulfilling life. That's the best life we can live. And see, all cultures, they, they shape our sense of self. Our families shape our sense of self. Our coaches shape our sense of self. Uh, how we live shapes our sense of self. The, the, the schools that we, that we go to, the, the, the things that we're exposed to are all shaping our sense. And they're all saying, this, this, it's about you. And if you live for yourself, then you're going to be great. You're going to be happy. You're going to be really happy. This major shift happened in the 20, 20th century. If you want to read... Um, more about like these, uh, how cultures kind of shape us and how cultural mindsets have changed. You can read a guy named Charles Taylor. He's a philosopher uh, and he's amazing. But uh, in one of his books that I read in seminary, he, he talked about this, this shift that took place in the 20th century. Um, usually cultures, they, they, would, they would prize like honor, for instance, honor culture. So you would, you would uh, as, as a woman, a, you, the honorable thing would to, to bear children and to 
cultivate life, that, that would be, the society would say that's honorable and good. And, and if you were, were a man, what would be honorable is you lay down your life for your country. You die for your country. That was honorable. And there's all these shifts that take place throughout the years and throughout centuries about what culture focuses on and thinks about. And there's this major shift in the 21st century that we don't really, 20th century, that we don't know exactly when it happened or how it came, but it affects all of us. And, and, and the, the shift in culture was this, that there is no external absolutes anymore. There's no external truths that we all can at least agree on. Those are, those are gone. And in fact, if there is an external uh, absolute, if there's an external truth, if like a moral truth, and, uh, that, 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 that's not celebrated and that's not good because all that that does is oppress me. That, that, that beats me down, that, that belittles me. And so the vision of the good life for us now in this, in this moment is to celebrate any desire that we have on the inside, anything that we feel that's good on the inside. And then what we do is we reject all other truths if they don't line up with what we're feeling. So society kind of tells us, forget forget. What your parents have taught you, forget what the church has taught you, forget what a pastor or a coach, forget all of it. And you need to go on a journey, a journey of authenticity, and you've got to find yourself. And whatever that is there, then you'll be happy. Once you find that, then you're going to be good. This will lead to the fulfillment that you see. Let me ask you, we've been living in this mindset for a while. How's it going? Is our world becoming a more peaceable place? Is it becoming easier for us to exist and find unity and, and love? How are you, if you're honest with yourself, how are you feeling? Do you find joy? Do you find rest? Is there actual peace in your heart? How, how, is, how is it going? And, and if I begin to think about it. This is a crushing weight. It's a very heavy weight at a pretty young age to say, you got to look inside yourself and figure it all out. I didn't know what I wanted to do or be at 18. I was an idiot. <laughs> idiot at 18. Still comes out sometimes. That's a crushing weight to say you need to look inside yourself and find out what's happy, what makes you happy. It doesn't work. You know what it's been doing? Deforming our hearts. It's just been deforming our hearts. And if we're honest, there, there is... There, there's moments in which we lay back in our bed and we stare into the blackness of the abyss of life and we go, there's got to be a better way than this. There's got to be more. I know I was made for more than this. I know that I was made for bigger and greater and I want to be a part of something that's bigger, 
is more beautiful. It's not about me. There's got to be a better way. And here is the invitation that Jesus gives us to that better way. Deny your old self. Deny that pattern. Deny that rhythm. And it let, it let me like come and, and experience real life what you were made for. Jesus is looking at this group of people, his disciples, these, 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 he loves Peter in this moment. He loves his disciples in this moment. And he's, he's like, listen, the mind that you have, the way that you are thinking, the way that you are living, it's absolutely going to destroy you if you continue. It's going to destroy you. It's going to, it's going to kill you. And you've been giving something so beautiful and so incomparable in value, which is your life, your soul, and your life with me. But you're exchanging it by making it about you. You're doing everything the culture was doing around that moment. We're still doing. And Jesus says there's a better way. It's antithetical to what we think. It's, it's not exactly what, how, the path that we would choose, but that's the path. That's the path to life. He says denying yourself, this word denying means disassociate with that person. That old way of thinking, disassociate with it. Jesus is saying that's not what you were made for. That's not how you're supposed to. To live on a life that's so, matter of fact, if you lose your life and if you forget that peace, you'll actually find life, real, beautiful life. This, this word that he uses here to take, to take up our cross, we see you and I uh, living in centuries that we have, 21st century, we have sort of... Uh, uh, the, the cross, for instance, is, is, is something that we wear around our necks. It's something that we're used to. I mean, that is actually, for the Romans, that was, that's torture. That's what that was. It'd be like walking around with an electric chair just on your, you know, pendant. I mean, that's what it was. And so when he says, take up your cross... For the Jews, this meant God's judgment. For the Greeks, it was just foolish. We don't live that way. For the Romans, it was a sign of failure. And Jesus is looking and he's saying, you're still living in a moment where self, yourself is elevated. It's, it's, it's elevated, but taking up the cro your cross and following following me in a cultural moment like this, it's going to cost you something. It will cost you something. But not to compare to what I'll give you. Not to compare to what you will experience. How does this for me and you and I, how does this old self kind of sneak in? How, do we, how does it kind of creep in our lives? Well, sometimes it comes through self-preservation, right? I can't fully trust God, so I have to trust myself. I can't do that. 
or Christianity is, is good. I understand it. I like, I like the way I believe, but it's just, it's not practical in the real world. And see, when you and I, friends, we begin to believe that lie and we begin to, to embrace that thinking and that lie, that is when the moment the power of God leaves our life and it's up to our own will and our own power. And here's the thing. Some of us, we're really good. Like, we're, we're capable people. This is a smart, capable church. You are very, very, very talented people. And here's what, what happens, when, what can happen, is we can do it for a while. We, we can do it for a while. We can, we can, we can by, by, by willpower, like we can make it for a while, but there are certain aspects of our life, there are certain moments in our life, there are certain things that we can't change, and oh, do we need the power of Jesus. But we got to participate with him we got to take the path that he gives us. We have to see this is not an invitation to death. This is an invitation to live. To live. He promises a new self, a new you, a life worth living. John 12, if anyone loves their life, they will lose it. While anyone who hates their life in this world will keep it. You'll find life. But see, it's our temptation at this moment when we hear things like that. We go, God's not really that good. He's really not that good. So I got I to gotta trust myself to make sure I find my, my, mine. I, and I, I'm tired, my, personally, I'm tired of it for me. I want to trust and let's go. All right, Lord, you said it. Let's, let's have it. Give me the life. See, Jesus, friends, by these invitations, he's recreating us. He's transforming us little by little, moment by moment, to be like, look like, act like, experience the very life of the Son of God. This is an invitation into love, into to, uh, to living, to flourishing, to peace. I love that no eye has seen and no ear has heard or no mind has ever thought of the wonderful things that God has in store for those who love him. I'm closing, friends. Uh, Jonathan Edwards, he preached a sermon. And in the sermon, he said, self-denial destroys the very root and foundation of sorrow. So much, friends, of what we've experienced, what we see around us right now, the world's sorrow, the world's grief, the world's trials, the world's trouble, our own trouble, begin with the sin of our first parents when they chose self over God. They chose I want, they chose themselves over God. And that led to a whole lot of sorrow. So for many of us, the sorrows that, that grow in our life, if we're going to destroy those things that, that, that cause that sorrow, then we, we must deny, deny self. 
He goes on in the sermon and says, the deepest joys in this world come only on the other side of self-denial. Jesus knew that this was his mission, friends. He knew that he had come to destroy this sense of sorrow, this sense of sadness, this anxiety, this depression that's all around us, that's in our hearts. And as Jesus looked looked at the whips, as Jesus looked at the nails, as Jesus looked at the cross, as Jesus looked at the, at the crowds, at the spear, at the tomb, he saw all of that. On, but what he saw on the other side was glory and freedom. Glory and freedom. True life. On the other side. That's why Hebrews tells us that he endured all of it for the joy that was set before him. On the other side of it, he saw it. As it was for Jesus, friends, because he's our master, because he was our Lord, it is for us. The deepest joys that we can experience on this world are on the other side of self-denial. In fact, the joy that is so rich, that is so expansive, that is so generous, often meets us sometimes in that very moment, in the midst of it. New life springs. It's the upside-down nature of the gospel. New life springs out of the places that we, dist- we kill, that we put down. New life springs up. New life comes. And the whole call, friends, is still Jesus saying, come and I'm going to give you life. I'll give you life. Life that you don't understand. A life that you've never experienced. But you've got to come this way. Exceeding joy. It does await us. And not just ultimately... And the great by and by when it comes, we can begin to taste it now. That's the invitation. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. God, bring new life to us. Even right now, by your Holy Spirit, bring life. Life to dead places in our hearts. Life to those places we still don't trust, we still don't believe. Life, bring life. Overwhelming, joyous, beautiful, fulfilling life that restores our relationships, that will restore all the broken pieces, the things that bring us shame and guilt and the things that we wished we never participated in. Bring life. Help us to trust you when your ways are not ours. When your thoughts are not our thoughts, help us to trust you. Bring life to us. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen. Amen.